Hey everybody, you're listening to the Hope in Crisis podcast, where Tim Costello brings you intimate conversations with his inspiring friends from around the world during this difficult time of coronavirus. Our desire is that you would be filled with hope through these conversations to remain faithful and resilient during these unprecedented times. It's my delight to be uh, interviewing the Reverend James Tumbian, a Methodist minister and uh, the Secretary General of the Pacific uh, Churches uh, and uh, a activist, thinker, theologian, leader. Welcome, James. Thank you, Tim. It's a pleasure to uh, join you this afternoon. So, James, you're uh, in Fiji. Describe how COVID-19 has been impacting Fiji. Well, I think uh, the the COVID-19 uh, situation in Fiji and the region um, has uh, come at a time where, of course, we are at the uh, tail end of the cyclone season as well. And uh, also being, I think, an isolated region as, as much as the Pacific is uh, because of its location, uh, because of the distance between all the islands and uh, how uh, like larger um, nations such as Australia and uh, New Zealand, um, the United States, etc., uh, we were the last region to, uh, to I guess, be affected by uh, the coronavirus, the novel coronavirus. Um, I think uh, it's been great that our governments in the region have been watching uh, what was going on in the world and were starting to think on, uh, on precautions. But I think also for us at PCC, um, the Pacific churches were paying attention also to how our churches uh, around the world were dealing with this, what the challenges were. We could already see before uh, we had the cases in the Pacific or before we began to close our borders, what was happening in Europe. Um, uh, We were having conversations with the World Council of Churches to give us an idea on how best we could be responding. Um, So uh, we were, I guess, able to act very early. Um, we were announcing uh, the closure of borders well before we had our first case. Um, and uh, Fiji, of course, has been quite fortunate uh, to have a small number of cases. Uh, uh, we have gone through all of that now. So uh, uh, we're waiting for the official announcement of uh, Fiji being COVID-free. But, uh, of course, our governments, uh, while they are looking to see how we can... Uh, uh, rejoin, uh, you know, our regional uh, transportation, how we can restart the economy. Um, we face some very serious issues in the Pacific, especially with tourism being the mainstay, <coughs> excuse me, of our, um, of our economy. And the shutdown, the lockdowns have meant, uh, closing the borders meant basically a shutdown. Our airline, uh, national airline, Fiji Airways, um, recently, and that may seem like a small number, but when you consider the size of the Pacific and how small our what, what, what was the number you just cut out that was affected? Sorry, that was 775 workers for our yeah. national airline, um, and we already have um, you know hundreds of thousands of uh, workers uh, in various capacities becoming unemployed as a result of lockdowns, etc. Um, and um, while, while we are small, 
countries, those numbers mean quite a bit in terms of percentages. Um, we also are countries that don't have, um, you know, uh, the ability to, um, to boost the economy in terms of um, announcing, um, you know, uh, injections of, of funds into businesses and things like that. In Fiji, for example, we've, uh, the only uh, recourse the government has is to have made the superannuation uh, available uh, to those who have lost jobs. Um, so we are seeing issues of uh, food security. Um, we are very fortunate that uh, for most of our bigger islands, we're able to, um, to farm and uh, you know, turn to uh, sub uh, subsistence farming, and that's what we're trying to encourage people to do. But in urban areas, that's quite difficult. Um, we've also had uh, severe tropical cyclone Harold um, uh, in April, so uh, that was a challenge, just as we in Fiji were preparing to uh, celebrate Easter. Uh, that cyclone uh, swept through uh, the Solomon Islands, uh, swept through uh, and devastated Vanuatu severely, uh, came through Fiji and affected some of our outer islands, and then finished off in Tonga. So you've got four Pacific Island countries being affected. And so we find the role of the church uh, being um, uh, challenged in terms of how do we operate within uh, the COVID-19 framework? How do we provide uh, disaster trauma counseling when we are not able to gather or travel? Um, and how do we, um, how do we engage in, in those areas? Um, it's been good to see, for example, uh, churches switching to online services in places where they have internet co connectivity or radio services, uh, television broadcasts. Um, and then, but this has been something that I think uh, we've seen also our partnership with Australia, our relationship with Australia um, uh, work in a reciprocal manner. Um, during the Australian bushfires, Pacific churches held vigil services, collected you know small donations that we could to support uh, our partner churches in Australia. The nation here was so deeply touched by the generosity. Mm. We always had the thought that we help the Pacific and mm. they're our weaker, poorer brother. You helping us really touched a nerve here, James. Yeah, thank you, Tim. I think you'll remember when we were gathered for the Voices for Justice in, uh, in Parliament in Australia um, and I shared um, uh, that it's not about a hand up or a hand out when it comes to Australia and the Pacific, it's about hand in hand. And this year already, we've seen what that looks like with our sort of, you know, whatever support we've been able to provide during the bushfires. And then when we were affected by COVID-19 with Cyclone Harold, um, the support from, from Australia uh, coming through as well, both from the government and of course, through the uh, church's uh, agency network, uh, the Can Do Disaster Work. When, uh Australians lost their jobs. We had job seeker unemployment. We had job keeper keeping people connected to their businesses, even if they weren't doing any hours of work, they were still an employee. Financial support, a strong safety net. Does anything like that exist in the Pacific Island nations? No, I think because of our communal way of living, our, our sense of community and our connectedness with um, uh, where we come from in terms of indigenous land 
and uh, places of origin, villages, etc. It's assumed that we have our own informal social safety net. Um, and this is a time where we've seen that severely tested. So as I said, um, in most places, there are no uh, real uh, opportunities of financial support. Um, in Fiji, those affected have been able to go and withdraw money from their superannuation. But what that means is that's a deduction from their savings from their yep. pension when they retire. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, we've seen, uh, and this is where we see our community, our Pacific way of uh, reciprocity and of support and of caring for community really step up. We've seen um, uh, uh, one movement which is called Bartering for a, for a Better Fiji, um, in which uh, people are able to originally barter things that they didn't want for things that they were thinking about. But it's now become almost uh, a work-for-food program for some places where people uh, who are, <clears throat> excuse me, people who live on the coast are catching fish and exchanging that for groceries, uh, for formula for babies, etc. Um, and people are, uh, who... who uh, who have plantations are exchanging root crops with somebody who then exchanges those with somebody else. So we start to see a barter system uh, supporting um, that, uh, that's, you know, our, our, our social network uh, or as a social safety net. At the same time, we see a number of uh, um, community groups spring up uh, basically out of nowhere. People with, who really want to put into practice the love for neighbor um, you know, who uh, have put sort of created social media pages where people can share what their needs are and those who have the courage to do that. And people then say, okay, look, we'll, we'll go and help you out. We'll provide what you need. So this is a, you know, um, a time of while we have the crisis, the, the signs of hope are so beautiful, um, which, you know, gives us hope um, that we will get through this. Can I ask you, given that you're such a communal-based uh, island, tribe, uh, land, connection-based society, is physical distancing being culturally difficult? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think with if we did not have social media, it would have been even more difficult. Um, our Pacific people use uh, social networking as a way of maintaining community, um, especially within diaspora. But um, we've had multiple situations of uh, people just not being able to contain themselves within their, their homes. Um, and, uh, you know, our lockdowns in Fiji have been two weeks, three weeks, maximum four weeks. Um, nothing like some other parts of the world where they're going into their third month of, uh, of lockdowns, fourth month of lockdowns. Um, and, um, you know, when we, we've had these lockdowns, we've actually seen arrests um, for people violating uh, curfews, violating these uh, physical distancing uh, rules. But uh, one of the things that we've uh, seen also happen is the shift in terminology. And I'm, I'm very grateful that you mentioned physical distancing, because we, we see that as, as, as something that's, uh, that's helping us through this by recognizing that the need for physical distancing. So we start saying very early on, if you love your family, 
maintain the distance. You know, again, using that terminology of love I, and I love care. you so much, I won't hug you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, we've become uh, very physical people in the way we, we interact. You know, men hug and kiss each other. And, uh, you know, we, 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 we physicalize everything. And so that's been a, been a challenge. I think also for, uh, for conversations on Zoom where it's only limited to this part of the body, <laughs> where we are you know, people who like to move and things like that. So, yeah, but it's been a, it's been a serious challenge. Given that uh, so much of the Pacific is uh, uh, Christian by faith and the church and the role of pastors, clergy is very strong, we know that some parts of the body of Christ have said, oh, it's only a little flu and God will protect us and don't close down our churches because uh, faith will overcome any, any of the illness. Mm. Has there been any of that strain in the Pacific Island from the churches? Yes, um, a little bit. Uh, but um, again, as I said, we, here in the Pacific, we paid attention to what's happening in the world. We paid attention to, you know, the stories of the priests in Italy who continued to do visitation and, you know, um, got the virus and died from it. Uh, and so we began very early, uh, uh, well before um, restrictions came into place within the region, to start to advise our churches. The first was on what practices to to undertake while churches remained open. The second was um, when churches began to be closed, places of worship and public spaces began to be closed. Um, not only the practical aspects of uh, having a, a, a virtual church, uh, but also the understanding from a biblical perspective, recognizing that the body of Christ is not just a physical community, it's a mystical community. It's existed as uh, home churches for thousands of years, you know, um, looking at all of that. Um, and also addressing uh, the fact uh, that some uh, faith communities uh, described uh, COVID as God's punishment, um, described it as only, and in that sense, only for certain people being affected, um, you know, that uh, I'm washed by the blood of Jesus, so I don't need to worry about it, uh, to the fact that it's uh, some kind of uh, conspiracy theory. You know, I had one quite strange situation uh, quite early on when we were still having church services, and I just finished a midweek communion service, um, you know, and in passing the sign of the peace, I said, you know, let's pass the sign of the peace, or we were fist bumping or whatever it was. And then one of my church members came up and said, uh, uh, and sort of rubbing her hands on my arms and saying, oh, I don't believe in any of that stuff. And I said, well, you may not believe in it, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Uh, I said, so many people don't believe in God, but God exists. Uh, so, you know, we've had some of those uh, challenges, but we've tried our best to equip our regional churches uh, to, uh, or churches across the region to, to understand what's going on. Um, and then the third or the fourth thing that we've really been doing is um, within the context of the isolation that takes place at home, the uh, frustration with uh, loss of jobs or fear of what's going to happen in the 
future, the issues of domestic violence and gender-based violence. And uh, basically saying that, you know, it's not just COVID that we need to protect the family from calling our fathers and brothers and mothers and daughters, the whole family to practice, you know, practical love within the home and keep that safe as well. That's been a, a key issue for us as well. Have, have you seen a rise in depression, in drinking and drunkenness, in uh, anxiety-related behaviours? Um, <clears throat> you can see it in the rush for people to go back to normal. Um, you know, after one week, two weeks, you could see very quickly people's patience uh, starting to wear thin because you could not see the virus. We are used to being in lockdown when we have cyclones. We are used to, uh, you know, staying in our house for a week uh, before, a, during, and after a cyclone. Uh, you know, we've survived without electricity, without water, those sorts of things. But the fact that people could not see the virus meant they couldn't, they struggled in some ways to take it seriously. Um, and the minute that people started losing jobs, were being laid off or sent, you know, uh, leave without pay, you start to see a certain, another level of frustration and, um, and trauma taking place. Um, and so, yes, we've seen that in the different ways it's manifested. Um, we've been very fortunate that, uh, you know, the bars and nightclubs and things have been closed. Um, but you see that, uh, I guess, with the number of um, uh, uh, people breaking curfew. Um, and that's uh, something that's been a challenge for us, uh, people just not able to stay at home anymore. Um, and I think also in terms for our church workers, the, the, the challenge and the frustration on how to deal with this situation, uh, which is something that they've experienced for the first time. During um, our last serious uh, tropical cyclone, Winston in 2016, which was uh, at that time the, the most powerful uh, cyclone recorded in the Southern Hemisphere. We uh, worked with our partners in um, the Uniting Church of Australia, Uniting World, and our partners in the Uniting Church of, uh, United Methodist Church um, to train uh, disaster trauma counselors and send them out. How do you do that in the context when you can't go out? Um, you know, where we are a culture of people meeting face-to-face, -face, as we just mentioned, discussed earlier. Um, and, uh, you know, you can't just pick up the phone and say how you're doing. You, you need to go and be with the community. So I think also our, uh, our pastors and church workers will also need to take some time for self-care in these situations. Can I ask, uh, given that uh, you depend so strongly on tourism and... Whilst COVID exists anywhere, it's a threat to people everywhere. Uh, uh, how is the economics of this going to play out uh, in the future? Yes. Um, my conversations with um, the WHO and other partners, we recognise that this situation is going to be fluid for the next two to three years. We're going to see borders open up and shut down again. We're going to see the tourism industry start to pick up. And the economic crisis that's going to be a result of what's going on will also mean whether we open our borders or not, people are still the question of 
where the tourists can afford to come to the Pacific. Um, as I said, you know, we've got airlines shutting down. We've got hotels that have uh, shut down. Some are operating on a very low level. Some are now, we are reading, are being advertised for sale in some Pacific Island countries. Um, and, you know, at the moment, it's, 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 for us locals, we've seen the, the prices of the, the rates, hotel rates go down for locals in a way to just try and keep the, some movement happening. But also, our local community is facing economic crisis as well. So this is going to be the major challenge. Um, <clears throat> what some uh, tourism uh, organizations are doing are saying, you know, if you paid for a, um, uh, you booked and paid for a holiday, don't worry, it'll be valid for as long as you, you need to hold it for. And then when you're able to come, you can come. Um, in my discussions with the Australian High Commission here uh, about the, the opening of the, the bubble, when the, when the trans or the Tasman bubble opens up and then the possibility of a Pacific bubble, it's, it was heartening to hear from the Australian perspective that the, their caution around uh, opening the bubble for Fiji and Pacific Island countries is not about Fiji being a place that has the infection, but about the possibility of Australians who may have the virus bringing it to Fiji. So in one sense, while that's a challenge for us, it's a good sign that our, 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 our partners, our sister countries are thinking about the Pacific, not just about you know, themselves. And that, that's, a, that's a positive point in a, in a very difficult situation. When, when um, we raise Australia and its support and you spoke in front of the Prime Minister about the Pacific step up hand in hand together. Do you and Pacific Islanders have a sense that in COVID-19, Australia has been a good partner or has it been the Chinese or, or have you felt alone? How, what has the feeling been? Well, I think um, we've been very fortunate uh, to see um, all our partners step up in this situation. Um, but I'd like to speak, uh, I guess, in this context about the Australian government, uh, given that uh, we have been developing this church, Pacific Church Partnership Program. Um, there was just around a half a million dollars or just a little bit over half a million dollars um, set aside for this program uh, for the last financial year that's about to end. And uh, in our discussions, and this is, uh, I think, something that I find very, uh, very important to, to mention, that in our discussions with, uh, with uh, the Department for Foreign Affairs and Trade, with DFAT, we've been having the conversations on, okay, we'd like to use these funds for COVID-19 relief in the region. What do you think? Yes, please go ahead. Beautiful. Now, and then... Straight after uh, severe tropical cyclone Harold, we did the same thing again. There was about, you know, um, there's a small amount in terms of the bigger budgets on, on that are spent on things, but there was about, um, I think about $53,000 uh, still left. And I said uh, in, in our discussions with DFAT, look, can we put that towards the... Um, the work of our uh, church uh, agencies, network disaster operations in the Solomon Islands, Vanuatu, uh, 
uh, Fiji and Tonga. And so, you know, we worked together. And this was the thing. It wasn't just, okay, we'll take care of it. Um, the process was one that involved the Pacific Conference of Churches. We, we discussed um, we, we discussed the best way to get that money, who it could go through, how it could be delivered, what the distribution, what the reporting mechanisms were. And so I think that was a really good example. Um, and that's why I said, you know, we see that hand in hand, a little bit from the Pacific where we could, what we could contribute during the bushfires, the reciprocal nature during this particular time. And that's the Pacific way. That's the true Pacific way. But that's also the Christian way, that when you see your brother or sister in need, you, you give what you can to support. And it's, for me, that's been a very beautiful part of this, uh, this very difficult and challenging time. Well, I have really only one last question, James, and that is, have you learnt any particular spiritual lessons through this imposed disaster? Has the church uh, in the Pacific had any particular insights into who it is and how it goes about its mission because of COVID-19? Yes. Um... You know, we, we've been talking a lot about the new normal. And we hear that a lot uh, from a Western perspective. In the Pacific, and from our Christian perspective, we've been saying, but what really we are learning is the new normal is in fact the old normal. It is about understanding the principles and living the kingdom of God. Um, and that is very important for us. We say, you know, this is talk, calling us to go back to the way things were supposed to be when God looked on the sixth day and saw that everything was very good. And so in the Pacific, we've been talking about what we call the, the household of God. It's our Pacific uh, way of describing not only ecumenism in the Pacific, but the way that we as churches should should engage and speak to the situation in which our people find themselves. And um, that's been one of the key things, I think, collectively for the region. Um, we've had some uh, very deep reflections uh, on that. Um, we, we call it part of our uh, reweaving the uh, ecological mat. Um, and so we've had people from different uh, walks of life sharing their perspectives on that. But I think also at this time, um, personally, it's been... I've been asking myself, what does, what does it mean? How do we be good ancestors? We often see ourselves in, in the Christian community as descendants. You know, we are coming down through this journey of the faith. Uh, we are, you know, we are part of the body of Christ at this time, but we're also part of our present is part of somebody's, uh, somebody's past as we say, in the future. So how do we uh, manifest that part of the prayer of the Lord's Prayer when we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done? And I think that's been one of the key things uh, for us at this time. That is absolutely beautiful. Well, from uh, a room that's adjacent to you in the household of God, <laughs> I just want to say thank you so much for uh, those encouraging words. and. Uh, we uh, want to assure you, not just Micah, but many of the churches associated with Micah will be keeping our Pacific brothers and sisters in our prayers. Thank you so much, James. 
Thank you, Tim. God bless you all. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Hope in Crisis. We're a new podcast, so we would really appreciate it if you would share this with your friends and leave us a rating and review whilst making sure you're subscribed to receive our future episodes. That would be great. Be blessed and we'll be back soon with our next inspiring conversation. Brought to you by The Eternity Podcast Network.